HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by charlottesgotalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and hosts to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread. Plan your trip at charlottesgotalot.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. And welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigade, and my guest today is Charles Duke, Manager, Managing Director, North America for the French Dairy Board. Established in 1973, the French Dairy Board represents milk producers and dairy processors and promotes French dairy products around the world. For the past five years, Charles has been leading their efforts in the Americas through PR events, consumer pop-up stores, in-store demos, social media, and a website. Pretty much all the fun stuff. Charles, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you, Elena. Thanks for having me. So I want to uh, maybe highlight for our listeners who aren't that familiar with the French Dairy Board, what, how would you describe it? I gave a little intro there, but what exactly does the Dairy Board do, and what is your charge in your role for North America? Well, the Dairy Board uh, represents the entire French dairy industry in France. Mm -hmm. uh, so they 
represent the milk producers, the cooperatives, and the companies that hmm. transform milk into the dairy products that we see at the uh, supermarkets, uh, at the stores, etc. So all um, the entire industry depends on them for various um, levels of research, marketing, uh, hmm. pricing, things like that. So, you know, it's really a... Um, an industry-wide association that helps each other out. Okay. So every link in the supply chain, and not just advocacy or community, it sounds like it's some nuts and bolts in terms exactly, of yes. yeah, setting things up. On a, do, they, do they even do some sort of trade agreement kind of involvement? Um, kind of it's stuff? not a government agency. It's a private right. agency, and all the, uh, the different links in, in the system um, pay dues, let's say, to, uh, mm-hmm. to participate, and that money is being used for various... Uh, Various research and, and marketing and um, hmm. uh, education, awareness, things like that. So um, they're not involved in the actual trade policies, but they do influence them. Okay, great. Interesting. It's sort of, a, you know, here in the U.S., we've got the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin as a good example of like a statewide marketing organization and sounds like i mean it's pretty wild to have one for the whole country right this would be more like dairy farmers of america (laughs) yeah Yeah. wow strong but we have here in the states we have associations that are only statewide and and, and they're pretty big so Mm -hmm. okay very interesting and so then what is your goal in your role with the french dairy board so my role um is to manage our campaigns uh here in the america so north america latin america Mm -hmm. um I've been with them now for five and a half years. I've been working with them for the past 10, 12 years already. Oh, okay. And um, we have campaigns to raise awareness on French cheese, cream, and butter, mm-hmm. depending on the market. Okay. And um, my job is to manage our own campaigns and also EU-funded campaigns where we receive up to 80% of the total budget from the EU. Okay. To so help outside us. of France. Outside of France, yeah, mm-hmm. to help us uh, raise awareness on certain topics, which could be things like uh, how Europe uh, treats its, uh, you know, animal welfare and mm-hmm. sustainability issues, or we can talk about geographical indications and PDOs, and so there's a lot of a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. um, and and then obviously just the products that are produced in France and are exported to mm-hmm. you know, all over the world. Speaking of those products, listeners, today, throughout our show, we are going to be pausing to eat cheese, which I was saying ahead of the show, uh, it's it's sort of silly that I don't do this every week. So this might kick off a weekly cheese tasting right here on air. Um, but Charles has brought an incredible little picnic, which I assume are your picnic picks of French cheese for the for the season, for the year. Every cheese is my pick for, for this season. We have... Uh, a number of hard cheeses, blue cheeses, uh, soft ripened, uh, some wash rinds, crackers, fruit, etc. So I brought you a little bit of uh, everything for mm-hmm. you to, uh, to enjoy. Well, I'm digging in. What's this first cheese that I'm trying? Uh, I'd say it's Emmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emmental is... Uh, That's what it tastes like. Yeah, Emmental is a nice, uh, easy to, uh, to use cheese. It's mm-hmm. one of these cheeses that you can uh, snack on, you can slice and use on sandwiches, the French buy a lot of it already grated for pasta and mm-hmm. other and other salads, for instance. So it's one of these easy cheeses that goes with everything. Um, it's um, originally from eastern France, uh-huh. but now most of it is being produced in Brittany, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And um, this is like, has a very Swissy flavor. There's right. the Swiss Emmentaler, and then we have French Emmental. Correct. Am I saying that right? That's correct. Okay, got it. And in Brittany, that's also where good chicken comes from. Isn't that right? Yeah, I also. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of our Level Rouge chicken, which mm-hmm. is very famous. Yeah. Well, there's always great food to be had in any region in France. Yes. So, okay. Back to the idea of what you're doing and what the French Dairy Board is representing. I'm curious to hear a little bit about, in terms of the many things that you're kind of educating people on, those, you know, the many topics that you could go toward. The PD, you mentioned PDOs. You mentioned, um, you know, the products themselves. Here in the U.S., what would you say has been a topic that you've seen sort of like the biggest... Um, sort of the biggest success on in terms of like consumer understanding or what people's perceptions were beforehand and then how a campaign has gone and how maybe you feel like you've changed perception or influenced it at least. Well, I think that the entire cheese industry has uh, has grown so much in the past 20 years. Cheese right now is, mm-hmm. you know, it continues to be the number one product uh, on the list of uh, specialty foods and mm-hmm. it has been for a very long time. And the entire category has risen because not only do we import great cheeses from other from different countries, but we also have started to craft great art, artisanal cheeses as right. well. I'll US. be at the American Cheese Society next oh, week. Oh, me too. Oh, I'll, so see, you I'll see you there. <laughs> and so the entire category grows, and I think that not only the French, but the other EU producing countries, as well as the Americans, have all risen the standards and as consumers, we've become much more educated and are interested in this in, in cheese. Mm-hmm. I just read actually yesterday that um, we've uh, we're now at twenty three pounds of cheese per capita, which is not bad. Yeah. So it's something that has um, you know that we're interested in eating that um, Americans are incorporating in their diets, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the message that we're trying to communicate in our campaigns is how to how can we incorporate french cheese anytime anywhere mm. and really elevate recipes american recipes uh, and bring them to you know to a to a, a couple of notches higher and make them magnifique which is the tagline of our campaign here in the u.s mm. which is a, a cheeses of europe the eu funded campaign uh-huh. is take any recipe and add french cheese and make it magnifique <laughs> well that's a, i think that's a pretty good equation yeah. i'm not going to argue with that one um very, very interesting. So when you're um, designing your campaigns, what, how, how does that work? What goes into designing well, it's what a, you're um, It's a long process. Uh-huh. It's a long process that starts with uh, crafting a, um, a grant request that is submitted to the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, either before or after we also launch a, an RFP to look for an agency that's willing to manage the campaign. So we, we right. launch an RFP, we get uh, different marketing agencies that respond to it. So you're asking people, what are your ideas? How would you do this campaign? Exactly. How badly we do obviously you want give the them work? Get, you know, we give them um, guidelines. Information, yeah. And then they respond with a pretty hefty campaign that includes, mm. you know, like we mentioned earlier, PR. Right. Um, different components. Different components that make up these campaigns. And then w- the companies, the French companies that are here in the U.S., we vote or they vote on the campaign that best suits them that oh. they feel would be uh, the most... Um, 
the best return on the investment. So uh, that's how it works. Okay. And you mentioned the French companies here in the U.S. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Well, all of the French companies that uh, that we represent have representation here in the U.S. So okay. they have sales teams. and Got it. Yeah. So they're, they're U.S.-based sales teams say, we want this type of campaign. And we think that the, the consumer could benefit from this other type. Right. So let's say we're going to choose a couple of agencies. The agencies are going to present it to the French companies, and they they'll decide who um, who, who, gets, wins who wins the, uh, the award, the, yeah, deal. the, the contract. Yeah. Right. Okay. And what are some recent campaigns and your current campaign? Well, our current campaign is now two years in, and this is the Magnifique. Make this it. This one is called Secrets de Fromage. Okay. Secrets de Fromage, and the one before that was called Make It Magnifique. But okay. we we've continued that tagline just to kind of allow the consumer to uh, to put two and two together. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an, uh, we prolongated that that tagline in order to Leading make it more it familiar the for the uh, consumer. Okay. But before that, you know, we were doing a lot of uh, Cheeses of France campaigns, which were not EU funded. Mm-hmm. And so now we call them Cheeses of Europe because we, we depend on the EU for the uh, additional financing. Got it. Which is substantial. Okay. Yeah. And then are you representing cheeses that aren't French? that no not really no but there's the take on it is that in representing french cheese you're benefiting the eu cheese industry yeah okay europe you know since it is european money where um we need to talk about europe in general at the same time since we're also paying part of the campaign as Mm. the french dairy board we're promoting our own companies and our own cheeses okay got it um okay so then my next question is uh sort of beyond the scope of the u.s uh, how often are you personally traveling to other countries in the area, and what campaigns do you have going on right now outside of the U.S.? So I travel quite a bit. Uh, I I have a campaign right now. I have campaigns in Mexico, in Colombia, in Brazil, mm-hmm. and I've fun, uh, launched some fun places. To some visit. fun places, <laughs> and I've launched an RFP for uh, a campaign that's going to include brazil argentina and chile so i'm waiting for the response from in october mm-hmm. so that's another one that might come to fruition soon okay and in each you know in each um country there's an agency that runs a campaign locally mm-hmm. uh in in the spanish-speaking countries it's called quesos de europa mm-hmm. and in port in, in portuguese and brazil it would be quesos de europa which is the the campaign there but the premise is more or less always the same which mm-hmm. is to uh, raise awareness on these cheeses to explain to people how they can consume them, how to incorporate them into their diet. Mm-hmm. And we try to use local ingredients, local recipes, local drinks, uh, local pairings that people are familiar with to make these the, these cheeses less, um, uh, you know, less, more, more accessible, let's say. Right. And with that, like those local partnerships, how does that work? Is that something that's usually happening on the agency side? Or when you travel to these countries, are you helping to make those connections and highlight those local products? Well, the, uh, the beginning is always the same. It's still an RFP, and, and then mm-hmm. the agencies get chosen by the local French companies that are representing uh, the, the products there. Mm-hmm. Then the, the message is um, fine-tuned, let's say, with uh, my presence there in the company, mm-hmm. in, in the countries. And I also go down there when I do, there are, we do events, uh, mm-hmm. and and I try to speak and promote during, you know, festivals, uh, right. uh, promotions at supermarkets, uh, PR events, things like that. 
Interesting. So what would you say is a common or maybe just a recent kind of scenario that you feel like where you felt like, uh, you know, you really brought something new to a region that wasn't used to it. Like if you're talking about adding cheese into cuisine, is there a a certain type of recipe or a certain way to do that that has been kind of eye-opening in a different region from your point of view? Well, here in the U.S., I think something as simple as mac and cheese can be really elevated with Mm. with French cheese. Mm -hmm. Mac and mimolette has become a a staple now Uh for many. In Latin America, I think, in Colombia and Mexico, which are both cheese-consuming countries, Mm -hmm. their cheeses are very mild. Right, fresher cheese. I mean, as we get closer to the equator, I I think of fresher cheeses or brined cheeses, stuff that doesn't really need aging, right? Correct. It's not aged at all. So for them to taste the brie that's maybe, you know, three months, it's it's Mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. They they taste it and they just can't believe the flavor Mm -hmm. and and the texture and, and whatnot. So... Those are things that are, you know, funny for, for me to see that it, we, I think Americans consider a brie to be a mild cheese today, but for them, it's still a very strong hmm. cheese. So to incorporate that into their diets is, um, is challenging, hmm. but luckily, you know, they've tried more and more people are traveling. There's a growing middle class in those countries that have experienced these, these cheeses outside of, uh, of their country. And so they're looking for them, um, at home. Mm-hmm. Um, Yum. Now that you mentioned brie, I'm going to take my next bite of cheese as we uh, cut for a break here. So we'll be back in just a moment with more from my guest, Charles Duke of the French Dairy Board. This episode is brought to you by charlottescottalot.com. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and host to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread at Johnson & Wales University. HRN went to this year's symposium to learn about the science, history, and art of bread making. Here's what visitors had to say about the symposium. I love the geeky science stuff. Great food. Love the Armenian pizza. How much I'm eating (laughs) and consuming the carbs. The most interesting thing is just the community. For me, it's the the, the science of starters. So much information. Very inspiring so far because everybody has a different outlook. I'm not technically a breadhead, but I think I'm going to be one after being here. So whether you're a breadhead or just a curious mind, check out HRN on tour for coverage of Charlotte's International Symposium on Bread and an insider's look into Charlotte's food scene. Don't miss our interview with Peter Reinhardt and Kristen Moore to learn more about where to eat on your next trip to Charlotte, a city on the rise. Learn more at charlottesgotalot.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Charles Duke, and I also have a mouthful of cheese because I'm eating cheese in the studio today with Charles of the French Dairy Board. I just had a taste of a lovely sheep's milk cheese called Napoleon. Folks, keep an eye out for this one. Looks like it's a natural rind, delicious. It's like an also erotic. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Long aged. Very, very good. Um, okay, so now that we're, we've, we've sort of covered what the French Dairy Board is all about and what you're focusing on in different um, areas on this side of the world, 
Uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you, Charles, and your journey to this role, because this is like, you're like captaining this cheese ship from France, which is pretty wild and fun. And I'm always curious how, you know, was your eye always on a cheese job or have you just landed into this like many of us do uh, by happenstance and a love of the product? Well, I think I landed in the food industry by happenstance. I, I lived in France for a while, I came back. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I was looking for a job where I can keep using my French. And um, and I did always love food. So it kind of uh, was a you know gift sent from heaven. But at, my first job was at Petrosian Caviar, uh-huh. which is a French that's, company. You know, that, in terms um, of specialty food, I'm not going to complain yeah. about uh, having a foie little gras, sales fridge full of foie gras and caviar. Smoked salmon, caviar. <laughs> Uh, only the best. So at the time, it was a long time ago. I'm not going to go into how long okay, ago, but we'll it was a long time. Okay, we'll just leave that up to, yes, to the listeners. Agrees, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I started working there because the director at the time didn't speak French. And so she needed someone mm-hmm. to speak French and help her communicate with head office. Okay. So I started working there. And that kind of gave me the first taste to uh, the specialty food industry. And uh, I was very lucky to, to continue my, to be able to speak French, which I had learned in high school. Okay. In New Jersey. So, <laughs> just regular high school just French Just regular class. high school. And then when, when did you live in France? Was that like after you're done with school? Right. So it was after, after a year of college, I went to finish over there in, in France at the American University. Okay. And I was, as I was living there, had some part-time jobs, et cetera, learned about a lot of the... Uh, of the cheese, mm-hmm. but um, the cheese came much later. Okay, yeah. okay. So fast, fast forward back to the caviar. So come back to New York, salmon. start working at Petrosian. Then I started working for other um, import-export companies mm-hmm. uh, in the food industry still. And were you doing sales at that point, or what was your role? I was doing role? sales, yes. I mm-hmm. was doing sales at Petrosian. I was doing, uh, I evolved to do sales both for high-end restaurants here in, in, in the city mm-hmm. and also for big accounts, uh, big department stores around the country that had them. Um, that sold the products. Okay. Yeah. And so I was uh, lucky enough at the time to meet, uh, you know, a lot of the big chefs that are now mm. even bigger. But, they were uh, up yeah, and coming. Up and coming chefs, Daniel Ballou and co, you know, used to mm-hmm. bring him his caviar. And that's how it all, it all started. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And I think the big break with the cheese came when I was uh, the director for the, f- for the food department uh, the agricultural department at the um, at Business France, which is the um, the commercial arm of the French uh, embassy, mm-hmm. so the French Trade Commission. Okay. And I worked there for five and a half years, and and led that department uh, along with all of our other offices around the country, and and there we helped around five hundred you know, different food companies to come into the U.S. Hmm. to work with importers, distributors, and get their product out on the market. So really, li- helping to link food producers from France into the supply chain in the United States market. Exactly. That was that role. Exactly. Wow. And at that time, I meet the people from the French Dairy Board and I help them, you know, put in place the, the very first campaigns that they had, which are, you know, funded by them uh, as Jesus of France mm-hmm. and uh, accompanied buyers and um and importers to France for various trips to visit mm-hmm. production facilities all over the country. And that really gave me uh, a, a lot of insight into how the industry worked. And uh, mm. and I probably know, you know, France better than some of the, my French friends. Because <laughs> yeah. I've been to places in the middle of right, nowhere. Right, right. You know, rural where, France. Where, well, why very would... rural France <laughs> with, uh, 
with at the time you know great importers and great buyers from all over the country that I still see regularly at the at the shows hmm. so as you made your way toward cheese and you got deeper into the specialty the cheese part of the specialty food world um what are your I'm curious if you have any impressions on like how the cheese industry differs from other areas of the specialty food industry I'm always I ask questions like this because I'm curious I, it's almost like when you're deep, so deep in something, you lose a sense of what of how it compares to other things. Mm. Um, but do you have any um, do you have any thoughts about what you as you got into it, things that were surprising to you, or or what you found to be unique to the cheese industry? Well, I would say a sense of community. And I think that we all help each other out. There's really, even though there are different companies and there is a, a sense of, um, uh, you know, there's a sense of helping everybody out, of uh, sharing um, production ideas and mm -hmm. not secrets, but. Right. Things that in, could be considered proprietary or, could or be things considered. in a more cutthroat industry, maybe like not. You wouldn't be so quick to share. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's something that I was very surprised with this, within this industry is that we're, we're all getting along. We all share ideas. We are all working for, for the same goal. We all have a common enemy, which... <laughs> <laughs> well, what a, tell me. I, I'm not going to go into <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of issues with um, raw milk, I think, with... Mm -hmm. um, where with uh, plant-based beverages, you know, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of issues and I think challenges that we all face together and, and we're all facing these things together. And that's, that's what it's, uh, what's special about this industry. Right. Do you find just on that, that idea of our shared challenges, do you find that um, there's a lot of two-way communication in terms of what's normal, quote-unquote, in France, equipment-wise and inspection-wise and, and what French cheesemakers are expecting versus the realities of bringing cheese to the United States and kind of jumping through the hoops here? I think that uh, the entire chain of production in France is at a very high level and uh, security is, is mm -hmm. very high. Uh, everything is checked and double-checked at, at every stage of production. So... I, I don't feel that we've arrived at that point here in the U.S., so mm -hmm. uh, that's something we should be working on to mm -hmm. get to that level. Um, and then as far as getting here, I think it's funny sometimes where, you know, the FDA comes up with these rules and regulations mm -hmm. where France has been overachieving and, and still we're put through mm -hmm. all these hoops uh, here to, to bring the, these wonderful products to the U.S. Hmm. Yeah, it's very tricky. Mm. Um, okay, I'm ready for my next bite of cheese. Okay. And now I'm going for, I'm going to go for the blue. Okay. But should I, here, hand me, hand me one of these uh, utensils. Yes. Now, listeners, I say the word utensils, but don't worry. I'm not eating the cheese with a fork. I'm just cutting it with a knife. Because I believe in eating cheese with your hands, right? As I do. Especially... In a summertime picnic, you know, you don't want to worry about too many things. Just grab the cheese and eat it. Grab the cheese if you want to, uh, a little support, maybe a, a light cracker. Right. I like to use a cracker as a vehicle, a little right. bread as a vehicle, then a palate cleanser. 
Right. Okay, so what am I tasting? You're tasting Bleu d'Auvergne. Mmm, the Bleu d'Auvergne. Which is a wonderful blue cheese from central France, you know, from the Auvergne region. Mm -hmm. uh, a very volcanic region at one point. Yes. So it's, uh, it has a very, uh, very good pasture land. Unique soil. Yes. I have a... I'm sort of on a, a, a never-ending quest to find wines from the Auvergne because of that volcanic soil, which I know most of them were wiped out um, with the big, uh, what was it? I'm going to blank on the wine word. Listeners, this is a chance for you to tweet at us, at Cutting the Curd, with the name of the uh, infestation that killed all the wine in the Auvergne. The vines, yeah. Um, Botrytis? No. Oh, Matt! Our, produce, our producer came in with it, Botrytis. Botrytis, yes. Bingo! Wah, wah. Thank you. Uh, that was amazing. This is a, this, that felt so legitimate. That felt just like, what a podcast. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm on, I'm on the hunt for great wine from the Auvergne, which doesn't really exist anymore, although I've had one or two that have been fabulous by newer winemakers who are trying to do stuff. But my whole reason for saying this is the reason that I'm hunting for it is because I love the cheese so much from yes. that region. And is, what, what other cheeses are from the Auvergne? Is Solaire's an Auvergne cheese? I believe it is. I believe it is. Form, Auvergne and Fond d'Ambert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, smaller format. Exactly. Cute little taller cylinder. cylinder. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Blue d'Auvergne is a shorter and wider cheese. Wider, yes. Right. Both are so, yes. so delicious. Um, so, how has your cheese life changed? Uh, how, how has you, like cheese's role in your life changed as you have worked professionally in cheese? Are you eating cheese every day? What is, what is your actual cheese reality? I'm always curious about that. Well, I'm very lucky to be surrounded by cheese on a daily basis because as many of our listeners may know, we have a space called the French Cheese Board in mm -hmm. New York, in Soho. And that space uh, caters to a lot of our events that we do here in New York. Uh, and is that basically your HQ? When you're in town? Um, yeah, I mean, we do a lot of things there. I, I don't have an office there because uh, it's a small space, but we it's very interactive. It's a it's a beautiful space where, that we use for the media and media mm -hmm. outreach. Yeah, so I've been to a, a few events. events there. Oh, great. It's always great. It's always great. So, yeah, I'm surrounded by cheese, <laughs> and I do eat it often, <laughs> and I love it. What is your, what's the most recent recipe that you cooked with cheese in it? Well, you know, this uh, for the past few weeks, we've been doing the Tour de France. Oh. We've been following the Tour de France okay. at the store. And every day, uh, the team there puts together little recipes and, and gives out samples of cheese mm -hmm. of that stage in the, uh, oh, in the so Tour de France. Oh, so which region they're going through, exactly. the cheese of the and region. What, oh, I love that. Yeah, so that just ended, as you know, yesterday. Mm -hmm. But um, they, they did uh, some melted raclette the other day, which mm -hmm. was delicious. Yeah. Always yeah. a great yeah. choice. Yeah. Even in the height of summer, I want melted raclette. Yeah. It's the never... French always find that strange that we eat raclette in the, <laughs> in the middle of summer, but hey. <laughs> you know, there's not a bad time for it. Right. Really, really not. Um, so my other question is about how much you're traveling and what your, like what percentage of your time is spent traveling? And do you have a team that you're traveling with or is it really you going solo to work with the agencies around the world? 
I travel with um, often with my with my manager who's who's in France. So mm -hmm. he comes and he comes and I meet him at these different locations, and then we have the support of all our agencies and our PR people at each uh, at each city. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say I travel, you know, maybe two weeks out of uh, out of the month. Okay, you know. so about fifty percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. Is that does it? Is that a lot or is that not a lot? You know, I, I really like it because I, I like to be able to change offices mm -hmm. quote unquote right. so uh having an office today in new york and having an office tomorrow in sao paulo and <laughs> in in, a, in another week i'll be you know in in bogota or mexico city it's great to be able to um see something new to talk about you know the things we love but with new people and new mm -hmm. years and just see it in a new perspective yeah it kind of breathes mm -hmm. a, a fresh energy exactly in, in every a constant time. way yeah. right yeah do you have any tricks for traveling, like having a traveling office, essentially? Like, do you use any apps, any technology that, like, you couldn't live without? Or do you have a bag you're totally in love with? I feel like when I was a salesperson, these are the little, like, secrets that you end up sharing with other salespeople over, like, drinks at a conference. So I'm curious if you have any um, must-haves well, you know, traveling comfortably, uh, Advil PM is my friend when I travel <laughs> very, very long distances mm -hmm. because I usually am, I have to work the following morning, so I have mm -hmm. to arrive operational. And, um, you know, my Delta app, which is, which is uh, that's important. A good, that's interesting, yeah. And, make sure your um, tickets are all make organized. Make sure everything's organized. And um, just having an internet connection is always uh, mm. essential. Do you do a hotspot on your phone? I don't, know. Oh. But I have. Yeah. 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 I find that's crucial. Yeah. Even just here in New York. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, where's the internet? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very, very fun. Okay. Well, let's try one more cheese. Um, I'm going to reach for the brighter orange cheese, which is not mimolette. Listeners, if you thought I was going to say mimolette, it is not. This is, I'm told, a pimento cheese. Exactly. It's called Tom Pimento. Tom Pimento. Pimento. And uh, it is with espelette peppers. Mm. So, so it's a Basque. Like southern Basque. Exactly. It is a Basque region. cheese. Um, it is from the same region that does mm. Osterirati. Mm -hmm. And so you have this wonderful semi-soft cheese, I would say, with a pale orange color and a little bit of spice to it. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. It's really... It, it's total. I'm. I have a high tolerance for spice, so I'm sometimes not the best person to tell somebody if something's spicy or not. But what I love about it is you can really taste the flavor yes. of the espelette. Yes. And espelette pepper, I think, is one of the most delicious peppers. It is. Um. And so I'm getting like a little bit of a tingle, but nothing too intense. This right. is very pleasurable. It's very nice. It's it's new. Mm. And you know, France is always innovating and finding new cheeses. There's a Approximately 1,200 cheeses in France right now, and the number is always growing. Mm -hmm. Wow. 1,200 cheeses. Yes. That's incredible. Well, on that note, listeners, just, just let that number sit in your psyche for a moment. 1,200 different cheeses of France. Uh, and I am going to now eat more of them as we wrap <laughs> up the show. Um, Charles, thank you so much for joining me on thank air. You, my pleasure. This was really fun. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'd love to know what are your favorite French cheeses. Let us know on Twitter and Instagram at Cutting the Curd, or shoot us an email at CuttingTheCurd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.